name is Stephanie. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, it is just so great to see all of you. I love fall. This is my favorite season. Anyone else? Okay. Some people are upset. I know it's almost winter, but just enjoy all five days of fall, you guys. It's going to be great. Um, I want to let you know about two things before we jump into the sermon today, and that is the two, we have two Facebook groups that you might be interested in joining if you're a Facebook person, and here's why. I'll put them up on the screen. There's a Mill City Church community page. It's a place where you can connect with other people. So if you, I think some of you really loved your community time, buddy. You guys could both find each other here on our Facebook page, Mill City Church community. Just search that. And then some of you, um, uh, if you're not, but some of you are fans of our Seminary for Everyone conversations. Seminary is pastor school. We just think that you're all smart enough to understand the same things we learn in seminary. So we now have a Facebook group where whoever's preaching is going to interact with whoever wants to learn more, ask questions, share their opinions and thoughts. And that is just called Seminary for Everyone MCC. So you can join into that. So I would love to have you join in. Um, Just you can even right now, you can actually even right now, I won't be upset if you pull out your phone and join the groups. But I'll pray so no one will even know, all right? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we welcome you to this place. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be with you, that you are Emmanuel, the with us God. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for the fact that you fill our lives, that you fill this room. God, we pray that your spirit would remain in this place, that it would make a difference this week here at Sheridan School. God, we love this school, and we're so grateful for their hospitality to allow us to worship you here freely every week. And God, we pray that you would bless them, that their experience would be different because we are here and because you are working through us and because of your Holy Spirit. Speak to us through your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're starting a new series called Pass It On. Pass It On. And so I came up with a community time question if there was a family heirloom. How many of you could come up with a family heirloom that you passed down? So some of you, I think it's it's becoming more rare And I thought about the question, and then I realized, we don't really have family heirlooms in my family. (laughs) Like, there's not anything that's passed down. Not even, like, a recipe, unless it's, like, the recipe that's on the back of the bag of the chocolate chips. Other than that, like, we really don't. But my husband and I were cleaning out our garage this or our basement this week, and our garage this week, because we're going to try to remodel part of our basement. So we're pulling all this stuff out of the corners, and I realized that there are some attempts that my late grandma, may she rest in peace, God bless her heart, Um, tried, tried, she tried to create some experience of an heirloom, kind of last minute there, okay? And I think that if my grandma, my nana were here today, she'd be tickled about the story. I guess we'll never know, so I'm going to tell it, all right? So in my cleaning out of the basement, I find a few things um, that were the heirlooms. One of them was my grandma passed down lovingly her collection of precious moments um, figurines, Okay, if you aren't sure, I brought a photo of the precious moments. So they're these little, they're these little um, like porcelain dolls, precious moments. I think I might now be the person who has the largest collection of these um, in Minnesota. At least there's probably someone in Texas that has a bigger collection. I'm just going to hang that. I'm just going to let that hang out there. All right. And then um, she also gave me, and I actually brought this with me. Um, she gave me, she was so excited. She was having my aunt put names on everybody's all her items. And so this is one of the things she wanted to give me. This is a cross-stitched monarch butterfly. And she was just so excited because someone, she said, someone important in our family cross-stitched this, okay? Millennials and Gen Z, if you don't know what cross-stitch is, you can come look at it close up later. And um, my mom, just this last week when she was helping me go through my basement, she let the cat out of the bag that there was no one in my family that cross-stitched this. (laughs) 
my grandma most likely got this at a church rummage sale. <laughs> and so here it is, my, my, my grandma's attempt at a family heirloom. If so if you're looking for some porcelain doe-eyed um, dolls, you know, my grandma, I think passing it on, in the spirit of passing it on, you may have those. If you've been looking for a, a cross-stitch monarch, you can, I think grandma would be okay with it. Okay, I think grandma would be okay with it. So come up and look at it later if you maybe want it. Oh, okay, okay. Monica's going to take it. It's going to stay in the family. Thanks. And you guys, I actually did not bring all of the heirlooms, so that was just a little a little taste of my grandma's heirlooms. Okay, so the reason I think that my grandma wouldn't be too upset that I'm telling this story is this. There's a lot of other things that my grandma passed down to me, and they're not uh, actual items, of course. My grandma, for instance, passed down to me what it looks like to be a resilient person. My grandpa was injured in World War II, and she cared for my grandpa for the rest of their lives together. My grandma passed down to me somebody who trusted God even in the hardest moments and had an absolute love for God's word. My grandma passed down to me, anyone who knows me well, a pretty snarky, sassy attitude. All right, so that, that came from grandma too. I'm gonna say that that was Nana. But all of those things came from her in addition to these wonderful heirlooms because it is one of those things that you experience with, in your life. The people who you spend time around, not just in your family, they pass things down and pass things on to you. In this conversation that we're having, pass it on, it's about the way that we live our lives impacts the people around us. The way that we live our lives impacts the people around us. Some of you have heard me say something like this. We are all people of influence. You are people of influence. It's not actually a choice that you can make. Follow me on this. You are going to influence people around you. It's not something that you can choose. You're going to influence your friends, your coworkers, your kids, other people here in this community. You're gonna influence the people in your life, your neighbors. The choice that you have is not whether you're gonna be a person of influence or not. It's whether you're gonna be intentional with that influence or not. Because it's just not neutral. And I don't know about you, but there's days that I wish it was neutral. <laughs> that my, maybe my sassy, snarky attitude from my grandma didn't have to be impacting other people, but it does. Most of us have experienced in our lives having to work through some of the, the things, the impact that other people have had on us, right? Some of us have had to work through some negative ways that people have impacted us. And then some of us have experienced the joy of recognizing that people have influenced us in a positive way. The deepest pain in our lives is the result of the influence of others, isn't it? But also the deepest joy and peace in our life is the result of the impact and the influence of other people that God puts around us. So I'm somebody who believes that it is, it is God's spirit that beckons people, that calls people, that, that is drawing us towards God's self. But it's pretty clear, I think many of you would agree, that God uses us to show God's love to others. That for someone to experience God pursuing them, it might actually be through us. If you're a follower of Jesus, I bet there was, it was most likely a direct result of, of someone or some people in your life. You still had to make decisions about that, but there was people in your life that brought you to that. People who are far away from the church or far away from God or Jesus, some of them are far away because of a direct result of the influence of other people. Influence of people who say they're Jesus followers, etc. If you're a follower of Jesus today, then there's people in your life whose faith you either wanted to emulate or you didn't. There's people in your life who you thought, I want to have faith like that, trust like that, like I said about my grandma. 
Here's what, here's what I want us to, to pay attention to in this whole conversation of Pass It On. God invites us into what I want to call a kingdom-centered life. And how we respond to that invitation is going to impact people around us. God invites us into a kingdom-centered life, and how we decide if we're going to respond to that invitation or not is going to impact people around us. It's not neutral. So the question of this series is, what will we pass on to the people right around us? What will we pass on? So if it's going to be a kingdom-centered life, if we're going to talk about passing on a kingdom-centered life, then let's talk about what we mean by that. What do we mean by a kingdom-centered life? And then let's talk about how we might be people who have the kind of life that it would be good that it's passed on, that people experience it around us, people who are experiencing it through us. So today I want to start the conversation in the Old Testament, in the Psalms. The Psalms are a bunch of songs or poems that are pulled together that the people of Israel actually many times sang out loud to music together when they gathered. And so today's psalm, I want to read most of it today. It's Psalm 145. So if you have a Bible or an app to pull up Psalm 145, we're going to be looking at the text the whole time. So if you could have it open and just follow along with me, that'd be great. This is one of my most favorite psalms. I bet it might be for a couple of others of you. And it's the last psalm of David, it says. So it's the last one in the book, in the entire book of the psalms that says it's a psalm or a song of David, of King David. And it's also very interesting in a way that would be very hard to tell if you're someone who doesn't uh, read or speak ancient, ancient Hebrew, which a few of you here do. But if you do read ancient Hebrew, you will notice that this poem, this song, is an acrostic. So it goes from the letters, the, the, every stanza starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, going all the way down to the end. And so this is actually a, a memory technique, right? So then you know what the next line is. And it makes sense for a reason that I'll tell you in a little bit. What I want you to do as you're listening to this, you, I'm not going to read it in ancient Hebrew because I was not one of those people I was mentioning, okay? But I will read it in English, and what I want you to pay attention to are the things that seem like they echo each other, or they repeat, or they seem to be said in multiple ways, in different ways. Whenever you notice that in the Bible, pay attention, because that usually means these are the most important things to pay attention to. So as I read just the first 13 verses of this psalm, pay attention to the things that seem like they're being echoed by the psalmist, by, by David. Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another, they tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. So an important reason that, that important thing that I think is helpful for us to know is that this, this poem, along with a couple other pieces, is a part of maybe one of the most important prayers that's prayed daily still in many Jewish communities. It's called the Ashri. 
And the reason that it's an easy one for people to pray three times a day usually is because it's got that memory technique because of it being an acrostic. People will pray it three times a day because of its importance. And what's so interesting is that um, as you listen to it, maybe you realize it's kind of like a pra- almost like a praise song, right? It's talking about these wonderful things about God. But in the Jewish community and even in the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, we see it written about it, these, these scrolls that were found in the first century in this cave that had the Psalms written on it. This is called a prayer, which is interesting because there's no requests. Did you notice? There's no requests of God in here. There's just things about God and promises that we are making to God. And I think it's so interesting that in the first century, at least, when, they, when we found those ancient scrolls, they had written, this is a prayer. Because isn't it true that sometimes when we speak these kinds of things, it's less of something we feel certain about and more of a prayer? Sometimes we feel less certain about God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And sometimes it is more of a prayer that we're crying out to God. God, we want to believe that you are good. God, we want to extol you. We want to lift you up and not everything else in our life. And I love that because the first century leaders, the people we know who began the church, they were facing a lot. And I wonder if that was the posture that they had to take as they began to read this three times a day and as part of the ancient community. As they continued to read this throughout the times that we now see documented in the New Testament, I think as they were facing persecution, as the ways that they were trying to care for the most marginalized and poor in the world were being misconstrued, as they were being misunderstood and oftentimes put in a spot where they felt really at best uncomfortable, at worst at danger, they needed this to be a prayer that came from their heart. Sometimes we're singing out a song of of desire, of, of hope, maybe even of longing. And I often say that longing is what hope looks like on a hard day. And at times I think psalms have to be that. In my opinion, the most important thing that we can notice about this psalm, now this is just Pastor Seth's opinion, the most important thing we can notice is what this psalm says about who God is. And I think it's most clear um, in verse 6 through 9, because what makes God great and worthy of praise, as it says in verse 3? Verses 6 through 9 kind of give us the answer to that. Let's put it up here on the screen, you can see. You can look at all these things and see what the psalmist is saying about God. God is powerful. God is good. God is righteous. Righteous and justice are the same word in Hebrew, so God is full of justice. God is just. God is gracious. God is compassionate. God is slow to anger, but notice it doesn't say God doesn't have anger, and I think that's important because when we look around, I think there's things that we feel like, that makes me angry, and I hope it makes God angry, some of the injustice in the world. God is slow to anger. God is rich in love. God has so much love that God doesn't even know what to do with all of it. God is good to all. God has compassion on all that God has made. When I look at this list of things about God, in my best days, man, I do want to pass that on. Don't you? I want to pass on that this is the God that I have tried to to have my whole life be around. I want the center of my life to be this kingdom that God is leading and joining into that. Uh, I don't feel that that's what every day looks like for me, but on the best day, that's what I want it to be. Because this is some good news about who God is, in my opinion. I think it's worth passing on. So this beautiful song was sung every day by the Jewish community. And I think it gives us a picture, one place in scripture of many, it gives us a picture of what the kingdom-centered life looks like. As opposed to a self-centered life. As opposed to a life that is centered on something else that is offering false promises to us. 
Let's look at some of these distinctions that we see here. I think there's some distinctions about the kingdom-centered life that we see in the psalm, and then some questions that that might raise for all of us. If you're willing to to consider what it would mean to be a kingdom-centered person, then here's some distinctions and some questions that you might take with you. And if one of these questions stick out to you, I encourage you to write it down or put it in your phone or something like that. The first distinction is to exalt and praise God every day. Now, I don't necessarily think that this means that we have to have certain music on, but that there's a posture of our heart, right, where we're praising God. If we do this, I think it reminds us that we're not God, which is really helpful when we start to feel like we're responsible for everything, doesn't it? I also love that the psalmist says, my Lord, my God. This is very personal. In, in, a, very, in a culture, in ancient, the ancient Jewish culture would have been much more corporate, so it's actually notable that here the psalmist is saying, my God. And I think that brings up some questions for us in our life. What are we exalting and praising in our life? And are we experiencing a close relationship with Jesus, a close relationship with God? It almost seems weird to say, my Jesus. It doesn't mean possessive, it's personal. Is it that kind of relationship for you? And I also love in verse 3 where it says, no one can fathom how great God is. So if you've got a few questions about God, you're probably in the right spot. If you think you can fathom God, we should talk, because God is so infinite and we are finite. Distinction number two. I love this. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. This is a distinction of kingdom-centered people. As of just the last month, we now officially have our part-time student ministry director, Tony Ducklow. You can give him a round of applause. I'm not going to make him come up here. I know. Wait. I'm not going to make him come up here today. Okay, some other time I'll make him come up. Tony, if you haven't met him yet, Tony and his wife have been a part of our community for a few years. He also owns some escape rooms for those of you who think it's fun when you're having free time to be locked in a room. You can talk to Tony. But Tony has a lot of experience in this area and learning about what is it that helps young people, all of us can consider ourselves those people today if we want to, what helps young people own their faith and become people who say, I am somebody who wants to live a kingdom-centered life, to be someone who lives in this intentional relationship with Jesus. And do you know that in all the research that he's done, and myself and others, there's really only one thing that seems to be consistent throughout all all of the studies of, of people as they become adults. And it turns out, hint, it's not pizza parties and laser tag, although that's super fun, so we're totally gonna do that, don't worry, students. But it's not that. The one thing that's consistent that shows people who choose a kingdom-centered life is that they, in their life, had people in their community who were intentional with them in this way. They had meaningful relationships with safe and loving adult Jesus followers. Do you know that that's the only thing that we are finding consistent? When people decide to choose a kingdom-centered life, they had meaningful and intentional relationships with safe and loving Jesus followers. And the studies suggest that at least five, at least five of those people And so let's hope for our students that mom and dad or their guardians are number one, maybe two, right? Maybe an auntie. But who's going to do the rest of these? Who's going to be the rest of their five intentional people? It's us, right? Do you know that we have over 100 kids on our roster at this church that are under the age of 18? Praise Jesus. They're not all here at the same time. But parents, if you want to come, but that's a lot. That means that just statistically, all of us need to be intentional with at least two of them if they're going to hit that number. Intentional relationships with Jesus' followers who are safe, who communicate love to them. But if you look closer at this verse, I love it. One generation commends your works to another. This isn't about passing something down. 
This is about passing something on. And can't you believe that there are so many things that people can learn from people that are younger than them and so many things that people can learn from people who've gone ahead of them. This passage is making it clear the generations are passing this on to each other. That if we really want to be people who can be kingdom-centered, then we're going to have these intentional intergenerational relationships and they're going to change our lives. So don't you think for one minute that if you invest in one of our students that their life is going to be changed more than yours. This is incredible. I love these questions that I think come from this. Do we have meaningful intergenerational relationships in our lives? And then I think it comes down to this. What are the stories that we tell? If we're going to commend God's works to each other, what are we saying? What are we sharing? What stories are we telling? Hint, what stories you're telling have to do, the sto to do with the stories that you're living? What stories are we telling? All right, third distinction. It's so clear that it, there's this idea of meditating on God's works in verse 5. People who are living a kingdom-centered life meditate on God's works, okay? So what does this mean? On the things that God is doing. I think this brings up a very important question. What is the focus of our minds? What is the focus of our minds? I, I feel like it's, it's easy for me to confess to you that this is a struggle for me right now because there's a lot coming at our minds, isn't there? It's no secret that anxiety is on the rise. It's no secret for many of us that when we get our minds going down some of these trails, we spiral into a place of pretty deep fear. And so this idea of meditating on God's works seems actually pretty pertinent here, jumping from ancient history to us today. So I think it's important to say, meditating on God's works is not the same as um, thinking positive thoughts or something having to do with kind of the self-help self -help movement about that or having rose-colored glasses. Some of you have rose-colored glasses that are permanently on your face. I love you, but this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about being people who almost take the spiritual discipline of looking for what God is doing around us and giving God credit. That's pretty different than thinking positive thoughts, isn't it? What are the works of God that you see around you in your life? And if you answer, I don't know, then the discipline is to look. What is God doing around me? How might I join into that, and how might I be people, be someone who meditates on that? I think that this is possible. I know this is something that many of you do. You meditate on these works of God. You think about times that God has brought healing, times when God has been faithful to you, times when God brought uh, relationships in your life that were really meaningful in a positive way, times where God provided for you when you were in a place of need or provided for someone else that you know. These works of God. Do we want to see more works of God? Sure. But meditating on the works of God we have seen and having the spiritual discipline to look for them, I think is what kingdom-centered lives look like. I think this question comes up for us is, what do we meditate on in our minds, but also will we give God credit? Some of you know the Johannes family, Abduak and Brittany, their little baby Judah. A lot of you have been praying for him, keep praying. He was born about three months ago with a heart condition that's almost like he was, only has half of a heart. But can I just say medical miracles that this little boy, even though he's had to have these surgeries, his heart is beating? It's incredible, you guys. He's three months old. He still needs a lot of prayer. It's still very risky. But what I love about Abduak and Brittany is that along the way, they are crying out to God. They are asking other people to do that. But every time they see something happen, they give God credit. They say, those doctors are amazing, and we give God credit. Those nurses are faithful, and we give God credit. My husband and I got to go to the hospital and pray for Judah and for the family, and in came some of the hospital staff. I don't know if they were people of faith or not, but they saw that we were taking a moment. And I didn't even know that. I had my eyes shut. 
But I opened my eyes and all these hospital staff were there. And it was so natural for me and for the Johannes family to praise God for the work of those people's hands and to say, God, you have created brilliant minds and brilliant technology that this is why little Judah is still alive before us. I didn't know I was praying for them in front of them, but they were coming in. Do we give God credit? I'm learning that from Abduwak and Brittany in this season. Fourth distinction. Do we celebrate God's goodness? Do we celebrate God's goodness? The word celebrate here in Hebrew, it's kind of interesting, so let me tell you what it means. Uh, if you were to, to read it, it would sound like this, naba. And what it means is to pour out or to gush forth or to spring or to bubble up. I don't know about you, but there's not like every day that I feel like uh, bubbling up with my joy and celebration of God. And if we're kingdom-focused people, it seems as though this is something that we do, but but bubble up about what? What are we bubbling up about? It says that we joyfully sing about God's righteousness. Remember I said earlier, God's justice. We joyfully sing about God's justice. Actually, I think I could get pretty excited about that. We joyfully sing about the ways that God is making wrong things right. Doesn't that give you joy if we're paying attention to those things in our lives? I think the question that we have here is, do we experience God's joy in our hearts when we see wrong things being made right? I know some of you do because you tell me those stories. And when you're telling me the stories, you're bubbling up with celebration about what God is doing. I've seen those stories in your life. For our covenant membership meeting today, I pulled a list of, not even an exhaustive list, but I pulled a list of all of the, the ways that Mill City as a large community has impacted, uh, com community impact list is what I made. And if you want to read it and you're not coming to the meeting today, I put it on our website um, and you can kind of see, you look for it, millcitychurch.com slash training slash blog. And you can read this, this list of all these things that you all, as extremely generous people, have been joining in what God is doing, and it's making a huge difference, and wrong things are being made right. And I celebrate that about you. I am so proud. You guys, I, just to name a couple things. Um, many of you know we're almost, we're $5,000 away from $30,000 that we're going to invest in this school to put a permanent sound system here for these kids so they can have microphones that work and speakers that work. It's incredible. Last week, on your behalf, some cupcakes or donuts or something were brought to these teachers, and they just looked at us in awe because we came with these cupcakes for them that you all, because of your financial giving, we were able to purchase. This moment right now, North City Church, just a few miles from here, is worshiping. This is Mill City's first church plant. We sent two pastors, one intern, $25,000, 30 liters, and a bunch of cute kids over there. That was something generous. Those were some of our best people. But man, I can't even tell you how my heart is bubbling up with this sense of how incredible it is of what God's doing. Why? Because people are going to find family, aren't they? They're not going to feel alone anymore. They're going to say, oh my goodness, what is it? They have already. Last time they had a preview service, they almost busted out of the door. So pray for them. They're going to need a new location. The Weber Community Center is probably busting at the seams as we speak. That's incredible because of your generosity. The list could go on. Benevolence, missionaries, missional communities, the Sheridan Story food that we send home with kids every week, the ways that people are volunteering the Little Kitchen food shelf, and at Claire Housing, building relationships with people who need relationship connection. The care team, all of you brought over 85 meals to families who needed just a little bit extra over this year. I feel bubbling up joy, celebration, about the ways that God is making wrong things right through you. And I hope that you do too. Do we experience God's joy in our hearts when wrong things are made right? Okay, fifth and final distinction. It says, God's faithful people will tell of God's glorious kingdom. 
That makes sense. Kingdom-centered people would tell of God's glorious kingdom. Here's the question that I have that kind of comes out from this text for me. Would others know God the way the psalmist describes by how we live our lives? Would other people know God as the way the psalmist describes God, that big list that we had? The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and quick and rich in love. Would God, would people know God that way by the way that we live our lives? We know, I think many of you know, right, that this is not what a lot of people believe about God. That God is gracious and compassionate, right? That's not what a lot of people think. A lot of people think that God is full of rage, that God is full of hatred for them, that God doesn't have time for them. That God's love has run out and there's no more for them. And why do they think that? Why do some people believe that? Because that's what's been passed on to them, isn't it? That's what people have shared. People have shared this type of hatred and division and anger and shame in the name of Jesus, haven't they? It's not neutral. People receive that. But I've noticed that some of us, myself included, are at times getting a bit shy about saying that we're with Jesus. We get a little bit shy about that. It reminds me of one of the disciples, Peter, after Jesus was captured. It can be tempting, can't it, to be worried about our reputation more than God's reputation. It's totally tempting because oftentimes there's a lot at stake, I think, for us. Or at least it feels like there's a lot at stake. Personally, vocationally, with our neighbors, relationally, it feels like there's a lot at stake at times to say that we are with Jesus. Here's what I think that is actually at stake, even more than that. And that is that people won't experience God through us as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and quick in love. How will the perceptions shift about who Jesus is and about who God is if we actively or passively deny being people who are with Jesus? The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. That is good news. It's worth sharing. It's worth living. It's worth passing on. And the psalmist kind of includes at the end here this result. The result of this, we'll put it up on the screen, verse 11. If we will, if they, if we will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, then all people might know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. That last verse, that's actually not something that we can do. That's something that God's promising to do with or without us. But we get to choose if we're going to be a part of that and if we're going to pass it on. And it's going to look different for each one of us, but I know that God's kingdom will last forever and God's leadership will endure through all generations, and I want us to be a part of that. I really do. It feels so important for us to be people who have a kingdom-centered life. But here's the deal. It's only possible if we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. Last week I talked about being a conduit. We are like a conduit of the Holy Spirit. We have to receive that Holy Spirit because here's the really hard reality. You can't pass on what you don't have. You can't pass it on. It's not neutral. Will we influence those around us? The question isn't if, but how. This feels really critical to me today. Out of, out of love for you and the people that we're all called to love in our everyday spaces, that we would be compelled by love. Not by shame, not by guilt, but by love, by the love of Jesus. To be people who go to the places and live with people in a way that they would naturally see passed on in their life what it means to be a kingdom-centered life. Because even in all of this, 
when people's lives, ours included, are self-centered or centered on all these other things, these things that all offer all these false promises, these false promises of pleasure and happiness and satisfaction, it's all leading to chaos, isn't it? It's leading to anxiety. It's not going to work. Will we be people who are compelled by the love of Jesus to have kingdom-centered lives? I'm going to have the band come up. And Ashish and I picked these two songs to finish the worship service today. So between the, the communion as a response, we always take communion together. But also these two songs. Um, here's the invitation for us today, all right? Maybe one of those questions stuck out to you. But first we're going to sing a song that invites us in this new season, as we're stepping towards fall, invites us to ask God's spirit to lead us and to fill us and to work through us in a fresh way. Maybe that's the invitation to respond for you today. That you, won't, you want to be able to give away something and you know you don't have it, so you know the Holy Spirit's got to give it to you. And this is, there's no shame in that. I, for, for one, that's an everyday thing that I have to ask the Holy Spirit to fill me with the things that I need to be a person of love every day. And then secondly, the second song gives us the opportunity to commit to God, just like the psalmist here, to commit to God that we want to be people who live out God's heart for the world. That we want to be a church who lives out God's heart for the world. Are you with me? Can we do that? Can we be a church that lives out God's heart to the best of our ability, to the world that God loves? To be a group of people that don't just recite this prayer every day, although I'm sure it's beautiful, and maybe you want to recite this, this psalm three times a day, but to be people who live it every day. To live it every day for the sake of the world that God loves. Let me pray as we move into our time of communion. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is actually a big responsibility you're inviting us into and so we need you to remind us that you'll be with us you'll lead us you'll guide us and it's only by the power of your holy spirit working through us that we can be a church that lives out your heart for the world fill us with your love remind us that you did everything necessary through your death and your resurrection to allow us to have access to your holy spirit to love people in your name it's in jesus name we pray